This is the Singularity Syndicate podcast. I'm Neja Faisal. Corbin AI joins me today. He is a visionary behind webcafeai.com. He is an AI developer, entrepreneur, and content creator. In less than a year, Corbin has built a substantial following with his YouTube channel, rapidly approaching 30,000 subscribers. Today, we'll discuss our common passion for AI and explore Corbin's journey as a content creator. And now, here's Corbin AI. Welcome to the program, Corbin. Thank you. This is my first podcast. I'm here to get my feet wet, so I'm excited to see what we got to do. I've been uh, binge-watching your, uh, your videos, and they're really helpful. Have you ever imagined growing up as a kid that you're going to be a kind of a YouTube teacher, teaching people all the tips and tricks about AI and technology? Growing up, honestly, this wasn't my original intention. When I was growing up, I began with like iOS development and creating apps from like 12 to 17. And then 17 to 22, I was doing a product-based company. But then I realized my love and my destination is going to be aligned with software for a multitude of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is because of the fact of how easy it can scale. And then that, that journey and that process led me to creating the channel and everything I do on the channel because for me, I kind of view it as like killing two birds with one stone, where at the end of the day, my path and my journey of where I want to go towards is creating artificial intelligence and this new market that just emerged. So I might as well teach people about it as well and just kind of, you know, grow both ways. When was the time when you created the channel? Was it like really last year? Because I was looking at your YouTube videos and I think the oldest was kind of nine months ago. Is this when you yes. started or you have been doing stuff from before? No, so this is when I started. So it's pretty crazy. I haven't even hit a year yet on YouTube. Funny enough, I think in probably two to three weeks would be like when I uploaded my first video. So I haven't hit a year yet. But what I can say is at least from this experience was my content in the very beginning was like, you can watch it if you want to, but it is very much like you could tell it's early days. But what I realized was AI just came out in the context of API, GBT, and like becoming more mainstream, I would feel. And what I realized is that within the content niche, at least in this regards, there was no one because it was brand new and it's still brand new. So I just, I was like, okay, I'm already going to learn a ton about it. I might as well teach a ton about it. So yeah, now we're basically three weeks away from my anniversary. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And if you're listening uh, right now, please go to YouTube and uh, look for Corbin AI and uh, support his content. And you will be surprised because you really learn a lot of interesting things. And also you have a special way of teaching. Like sometimes you are, you know, you're a little bit funny and, uh, you know, a little bit goofy if i have to say and that's really part of the experience right <laughs> uh-huh so early on i was very much like stoic and like I, I mean if you could check my earlier content i wore like you know shirt like dress shirts and stuff like that and it was more like very much like narration value oriented it wasn't until probably halfway through my journey that i was like you know what let's let's add a little bit of like who i am as an individual per personality authenticity because end of the day i think halfway through my content creation journey that's when i realized like wait I could actually do this as a job slash like create a business out of this. So if I'm going to do this long term and, and I'm going to do it for years, I just got to be myself because if I'm not myself, I can't just fake it in front of the camera for years to come. So that's kind of when that whole transition happened. Plus, 
when I explain these concepts and when I, when I go through like the way I kind of talk about it, it's very much of like how I think about it, which may be a lot simpler than like what you would see traditionally in like an article teaching you how to do it. Walk me through your thought process when you want to create a video. Do you, how much do you prepare and why did you choose that format? You know, you always have this green screen behind you, you're cropped all over and then, mm -hmm. and then you have, you start even with the screen. You don't even have an intro or anything fancy. You're just very natural, very authentic. But but still, I feel that you, you do prepare because um, if you watch closely, like a lot of the prompts, it seems that you have prepared them before you hit record. So I would say like in the early days, and you'll be able to notice my very first content, like you'd have presentations almost. It was almost like it was very structured in that way. But what I realized is I kept creating the content was end of the day, people just are clicking the video for a very specific reason. They want to learn a very specific thing. That being said, I have gotten comments in the past like, hey, it'd be a good idea to basically show like the end product of what you're creating in the beginning of your video and then like proceed with the video. But basically what I say to those comments is like, I'm doing this all live. Like the, the prompts I create, the automation flows I create, everything to do with AI and your business, that's live. And the way I kind of approach it and the, re the, way, the reason I do that is that during the process, sometimes I run into errors. Sometimes I run into issues and I don't cut those out. I keep those in because at the end of the day, we all run into errors and we all run into issues. And you're not looking for a cookie cutter video where it's like everything is perfect because I also show you how to troubleshoot these errors, which I think is like probably half the process when it comes to this new technology is understanding even how to talk to it and troubleshoot in that context. So you do live streams? I've done one. I do plan okay. on doing more in the future. So this, this was when I hit 10,000 subscribers. You can see it. It's on YouTube. Six hour live stream. I showed from start to finish how to create a fully AI automated dropshipping store. And the context of that was we use like an AI image generation like Dale or Midjourney, and we would automatically put the designs on shirts and like other products. And then if you are familiar with services that are print on demand, like Printful, where basically you put a design and then they handle the shipping, everything associated with the distribution, I was able to create an entire dropshipping store in six hours. I will say though, out of all the time, all the kind of content I've created, that was that one felt that was exhausting. I was at the end of that live stream. I was like, okay, I want to do this again, but it was very exhausting. Six hours is a lot. Six hours of very technical work too. It wasn't like six hours of video games, you know. It was like six hours of like code, <laughs> all this complex stuff. And I'm just like, at the end, I was like, oh, I'm dying here. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious though about your background who live in uh, in the bay area of course the the fact that you live in the bay area you're surrounded all by all these big tech companies and the ecosystem you know i i'm i'm, I'm assuming that this what inspires you to you know learn how to code or get into that technology stuff but like walk me through like the beginning what what degree did you choose for your major did you go to college at all like we we really don't know much about you definitely and you keep so it the like origin that stories. you're the mysterious yeah, the origin guy stories. <laughs> why don't they a lot of people don't care like especially early days a lot of people don't really care about that just like okay is this guy gonna actually give me value or not like they don't and that's another thing with just social media in general like you don't even need crazy credentials to like provide value and the day it's like if what you say is true it's true that being said though my journey started when I was um, 11 or 12 in the context of coding. And that was purely because my brother had coded for iOS apps. And basically, he kind of carried that down to me. And one of the first apps I created was, it was during the uh, World Cup. And it was in Brazil. And in Brazil, like, you know, they have like these balloon things where you hit them. 
Um, I don't even know what they're called. I should probably know what they're called. But the first app I made was just a very simple image and you'd click it and then make the sound, right? And that kind of just went for five, six years till I was like 17. And from there, that's when I kind of pivoted to like a product-based business. And uh, it was a very high risk industry. It was a vape business. I ran that for three and a half years. And basically at the end of that, I realized, okay, well, if I want to scale, because the issue I was running in that business was very much like, oh, we're getting demand. But then you have to purchase inventory to supply the demand. So it was like some endless loop of just purchasing inventory, supply, supply. And I didn't like that because it wasn't, it was harder to scale because you would have to wait for manufacturing times and stuff of this nature. So basically I ran that in college and to give context in college, I went to uh, UC Berkeley and funny enough, this is, uh, this might be, uh, <laughs> so I went as a poli-sci major because of the fact that I was running the business and I didn't have time to do a more uh, technical major because like it's hard to just even juggle that much. Uh, funny side story about that is their business school, Haas, I applied to it. And at that time, I think I had gotten the company up to around 150,000 revenue a year. And I applied to it. And I'm like, hey, the reasons I couldn't do certain prereqs was because I was running this business. And I just, the entire application was just giving context on the business, everything of that nature. I got rejected, but <laughs> not that big of a deal. I genuinely believe you don't need to go to an established uh, education institution for certain things. Obviously, if you want to be a doctor, yes, please do. I don't want to be on the operating table if you didn't go to some type of education like that. But especially business, I feel like you're actually, it's actually, it could hurt you because you're, you're going into the market later because you have to basically eat the cost of those three years when you could have just started earlier. But that's kind of the, the, the fast forward of that. And then after college... Yep. I was like, okay, I got to just go 100% software because that's basically when the ChatGPT and all that news came out. So would you say that your brother was an inspiration for you to get into tech? I would say if he didn't develop app, he's like six years older than me. If he didn't develop apps when he did and basically influenced me when I was like 11, I probably would not have gone into tech and as, as leaned in as hard. It's like that thing where it's like you're growing up. If you had bilingual parents, like obviously you can speak two languages a lot easier because your brain is like easily molded. And I think that that five years of like me doing coding and then taking a break and then coming back to it had made the process for me to create the current software I'm creating a lot easier because it's not like I'm redrawing on a book. It's like, no, I'm just pulling information that's been stored in my brain that I haven't accessed for a while, basically. Yeah, I'm I'm totally fascinated by by these stories that of 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 kids that are like really young in their teens who are coding and getting into all this serious stuff. I didn't have this kind of childhood. I wonder like when you are a teenager and you're coding, coding is the fun stuff that you do or you have other hobbies on the side? <laughs> well, I would say coding is definitely fun once you understand and really know how to like, basically the idea of coding is fun. I think for me personally, I grew up before that was just like building Legos and stuff like that. So one thing I want to point out as well, I'm horrible at math. I am horrible at math. Now, there's a huge misconception that for some reason you need to be really good at math to do coding. You don't. Like genuinely coding is much more logic-based, understanding logically how to approach a certain issue or pain point with software. But that being said, uh, from my personal experience, I find coding fun because it's like you're creating something new, something that didn't exist before. It's like you, you have like a, it's a nice mold. You're, you're able to mold it. Uh, hobbies outside of this is definitely like uh, snowboarding. Uh, I don't know, like uh, going to the gym, taking hikes, stuff like that. Speaking of coding, when when first ChatGPT came out and uh, these tools are also um, 
capable of, of uh, coming up with code or generating code. Um, did you feel a setback? Oh my God, like I know this skill and now ChatGPT can do it better than me. Did you feel this way or no? You felt it, no, you more, were more energized because now we have this tool that can speed up your work. 100% energized. Two things on that. First thing on that. If you feel like, and you, you, you code and you program and you feel like using ChatGPT, the answers aren't effective or the outputs are incorrect, it's not that ChatGPT is the issue, it's the way you're talking to it and you're not leveraging stuff like custom instructions. So the first thing that I realized is that the way I look at ChatGPT isn't like, oh, I need this to code out the entire software. No, 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 no. ChatGPT is good because a lot of times in code, it isn't a question of not knowing how to code it. It's, it's the question of actually taking the time to type it out. So what's nice about it, it's, it's almost like having a, someone that works for you, but 20 bucks a month to code out certain things. Because if you know how to talk to it and you know how to ask for specific functions or specific API calls, stuff of this nature, th this would basically just expedite the process to build out certain things in the software rather than be like, oh, the code didn't work. Um, this is useless. I think genuinely, if you're an average coder and you know how to leverage ChatGPT, you become an advanced coder. Like it, it, it can take you to the next level because you're learning with it as you build it out as well. So it's like a very much like positive correlation. Uh, any coder that is not using ChatGPT to code, I encourage you to do it because trust me, once you start doing it, you'll be like, okay, this is a whole new world that's open. Yeah, but at the same time, a lot of people argue that if, if I can create code, why do I need to, to hire programmers, especially in the employment sphere? I understand that maybe entrepreneurship, it's going to be an accelerator. I know that um, AI is an accelerator for my entrepreneurial experience, my agency that I started mm -hmm. and my content. It's definitely an accelerator. But it also uh, makes me uh, do a lot more without hiring anybody. So what do you think of the impact on employment? Definitely. So I think two things. The first thing I think on that is just as a, as a ground level, there will be certain jobs lost, but gained in other industries because of just AI becoming more relevant in how we do things. That being said, though, AI can't necessarily completely replace a designer or completely replace a software engineer because of the fact of one simple idea, which is, and this is, I've seen this with other founders as well, is very much like, Okay, you could be an amazing coder, but do you have the ability to point out value slash just think logically? Now, ChatGPT can give you the perfect function, but if you don't understand logically how that connects with other parts of the actual software, you're basically limiting your ability to do like crazy things within that software. So it's like kind of more of connecting the dots. That being said, there could be a point in the future where the dots get connected a lot easier. But I think as of now, it's more of a, a really, it's basically the way I've been kind of telling a lot of people that watch my channel is if this is like using a calculator and math, think of it, basically you in theory could still do the math problem without the calculator. It would just take a lot longer. So might as well just learn how to use that calculator. Uh, I'm sure that you're aware of all the other sites, like the YouTubers who are freaking out and saying AI is going to take over and it's gonna, AI is a threat to humanity. AI is going to be like all this villain that's going to, you know, do a lot of uh, <laughs> bad stuff. Are you on the optimistic or pessimistic side in the, in the future? Um, I think basically when it becomes more relevant, because a lot of people are sleeping at the wheel, it's going to 
really bolster certain jobs and certain niches. And then yes, it will kill certain, uh, certain niches and certain jobs just because of how it works. That being said, as an example of one that I think is going to get like absolutely rocket fueled is going to be content creation. I think this is going to get to the point where we're going to be able to create basically your identity. I'm going to be able to create a video and I didn't do that video. AI did that video, but you can't even tell the difference between me and that video. See, when we get to that point, that's like Mr. Beast creating a whole video, but Mr. Beast didn't create the video. It's just software that created the video. So that's like an industry that's just going to go absolutely mad when it comes to that context. I think in other parts of it, it really just comes down to how the, the companies view or want to integrate it. As like a lot of tech layoffs have been probably scapegoat for incorrect reasons. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to come out and say, well, you know, the reason we laid off so many people was because artificial intelligence can just do their job. That's just not going to fly by. So there's different terminologies that are used, at least personally, I think, from what I've seen in the industry and how I've been interacting with it, that, you know, maybe if the team required 10 coders, they can now require eight coders. I don't think it's going to be something drastic where it's like, now it's just one coder and that took the job of nine coders. So definitely like progressive, if anything. So what are you currently building? Are you only focused on your content right now? Or like you also, uh, because I know that there's webcafeai.com. Do you want to tell me more about that or other initiatives that you're building? Definitely. So early stages of the company was very much artificial intelligence and integrating it to businesses. I wanted to see firsthand how it just worked and how these businesses would even interact with it. Then I got to a point where basically I was getting too much demand and I was like, okay, well, I can't scale because my version of success, if I have 50 clients, is like way too much of my time associated with that kind of work. Therefore, I kind of pivoted and I was like, okay, well, long term, if I genuinely want to lean in and leverage this new market, I need to think of solutions that don't require my time, but are, can be implemented to thousands of people. So software came into play. The way I kind of view Web Cafe AI now is a game player in the sense of long term. I want to invest and help other AI software companies that are being developed in it. Like we're only eight months into this market. When I say that, people might be confused and raise an eyebrow. Like, what do you mean eight months or 10 months? It's because what happened in 2023, April, was really significant. And a lot of people just slept on it. GPT-4, which is probably the most advanced model when it comes to artificial intelligence, uh, was able to be accessed through software and API in April of 2023, which means we could do very advanced flows with artificial intelligence in software. And it only, it hasn't even been a year yet. So this is like a under year market. So you already know how markets go, right? So it's all early stages, but this is a huge market. That's what I explode. So answer real quick, Webcaf AI, see investing in other software companies. And then right now, yes, I'm currently in the process of developing my own software with AI in the specific context for content creators. The reason I chose this is because as a content creator, I've, I can notice our pain points. I notice basically how do we leverage software in our workflow so we don't necessarily have to go to Fiverr to hire that person or go to Upwork to hire that person. We can use this software. And it just lines up perfectly because one thing I always tell people as well is the best kind of business to create is a business that you would use yourself, like the services or products, because you know the pain points, you know the customer because you are the customer. So that's kind of the, the direction I'm going with that. And that one, that's called a tube stamp. Speaking of content creation, okay, so eight, nine months ago, you hit the first record button on YouTube. What yes. was it like? And, uh, and why did you choose that format? 
and uh, what was like your initial reaction? Did you did you blow up really quickly? Like the first video got like thousands of views, or <laughs> no, it went no. gradual? Definitely gradual. And and I will say this: basically, the reason I hit record was because at that time I was very, and I still am, but I was very invested in the idea of using artificial intelligence with automation softwares like Zapier in the context of basically truncating a workload. What do you mean? What I mean is basically when I ran that product surface, product-based business, there would be days where I'd spend three hours, maybe two to three hours, basically writing out 30 different captions with 30 different hashtags for our content schedule. I was able to do that same flow using artificial intelligence and Zapier, and I did it in like two minutes using the, this entire flow to print out 30 different captions, 30 different uh, hashtags. After that incurred, I had like a light bulb go off. I'm like, okay, well, this is huge. I went from three hours to two minutes. And I started searching up on YouTube and just content in general around this topic. And nothing existed because at the time of me searching it, I was like, this was like a weekend. So I was like, you know what? I'm already going to spend the time to learn how to do this and build do and do this. If nothing exists on YouTube right now in this content space, then I'm going to be the one creating the content. So at that time, it was very, it wasn't like, what do I record today? It was more of like, there is a ton to go over and I just need to hit record every single day. The early stages was much more structured, less personality, as you'll notice. <laughs> but the later stages are probably halfway through. I realized, you know what? This isn't like a side or a hobby for me anymore. This is like, this could actually turn into something. So I just need to be myself. I have a lot of friends, including myself, um, who are so afraid of recording themselves. They have all sorts of insecurities. I remember the first time I tried to um, become a content creator. Uh, I recorded my few videos. I was trying to edit them to perfection. I was so insecure. And I ended up not uploading them even. And then fast forward like a few years until I, I got my courage back again. And a lot of people are like that. A lot of people, they want to share their knowledge with the world. They know that it's important for you in, in 2024 to be mm -hmm. out there, you know, in, in, in these, on these social platforms. But they still have this fear and anxiety and, you know, the, the shyness or the insecurity about how they look and how they sound. What would you say to them? Very simple. If you want to do this and you want to create content, don't do it and what you talk about is BS or basically you have nothing to back it up or prove it because that could kind of hurt you where it's like, okay, I'm talking about this advanced topic, but I don't know what I'm really talking about. That's why like when I was creating this content, when I was talking about working with these businesses, creating these AI automations and now doing software development and everything in that regard, when I hit record, it isn't like I'm nervous or I feel like, you know, whatever, whatever. It's more of just like, no, I, I, I've done this. I do this. This is like basically build a list of stuff that you've done. And my best suggestion to you and what I've learned is this is super important, especially in this day and age. I think we're still like early stages of social media where this is still kind of like it's happening, but it's not really happening. I generally think when 30, 40 years from now, a lot of creators, a lot of founders of large companies will have their creator journey, TikTok, whatever it is. Like right now that sounds like really, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. But trust me, like people that are younger than us, like this is like way more ingrained. They, they're having an iPhone in front of them when they're eight. Like this kind of stuff's gonna be way more ingrained. But that being said, when it comes to like looks, uh, editing, my best advice, and I have friends I tell this to as well that want to get into it, is 
create a piece of content that you can do daily. It only takes you under an hour to edit it, create the thumbnail, create the description and the title. How do I create the description title? I'm bad at copywriting. Use ChatGPT. Use like a very simple prompt. Like that's going to, don't worry about that. I think end of the day and what I've realized, I mean, this is still early stages for me to an extent. What I've realized is this. If you got something real to say and you have value, the only thing holding you back isn't how good it looks when you edit it or the, the mic quality. The only thing holding you back is that no one has an idea of who you are. So the biggest name of the game early on is just people just need to recognize your face. That's it. Just push out content and let people recognize your face. And that's going to take you halfway there. But the confidence. How do you muster the confidence? How, like, have you always done public speaking? Do you, are you afraid like back in school? Would you go and do the speeches? Would you talk in front of public? Because this is also public speaking, right? hundred percent. I would say, well, when I did debate in high school, so maybe that gives me a little advantage, but to be re really real with you, when I was running that uh, product-based company from 18 to like 22, I was talking to one of the biggest manufacturers of e-cigs in China. And I was talking to them every single, like every other day when it comes to creating uh, manufacturing products and stuff like that. Also on top of that, I remember when I had to exit that company and sell, and that's a whole another story of why that even occurred with the government and stuff of this nature. But I remember getting a call with a vape company in Italy and I was 19 years old and these guys were much older than me. And it was like three, and this was a big company in Italy and they're listening to me and I'm in a call. It's Italy. Three of them are just like their CFO. They're like everything was, they were just hammering me with questions and I passed. So I think the way you do it is put yourself in positions where even if you're just talking to a lawyer for, for something in your business, like just talk to people more. I think by talking to people more, you just like over time, you just gain a confidence because you're like, I was in that lawyer call or I was talking to that manufacturer. It just becomes easier in that regard, I feel. Yeah. I noticed also in your content that, uh, you basically tried a little bit of shorts on YouTube, but then you mm -hmm. stopped kind of doing shorts. It kind of, you, you, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw that you're only having 10 to 15 shorts, maybe. I don't know. Oh, so maybe that was a little, a little early, but it's actually quite the opposite. So right now, and this is, I'm actually glad you brought this up because I want to, I need to say this right now I'm recording nine to 12 shorts a day. And the way I'm recording it, I'm setting a threshold where it's just me talking to a camera about certain things I've learned, whatever, whatever. Point being is this, though. I've gotten comments and I've received criticism com comments basically saying, hey, I like your long form content, but I don't like your short form content because it's not at the quality that I deem necessary. And to be frank, the quality is just me talking to a camera about XYZ thing. What I want to make clear and of why I do that and why that's occurring is that, yes, right now, it may appear to you that 9 to 12 TikToks a day or just short form content is overkill. But what I'm waiting on and I'm betting on, and, and from my experience up to this point, is very simple. The purpose of those is to not get likes, not get engagement, not to get XYZ. The purpose of those is that when someone scrolls, they just see my face, even if it's for two seconds. Because I think the name of the game, especially when you're trying to come up, is people just need to recognize your face. And I feel when something clicks in the algo for XYZ reason, for Corbin AI, whether it's the software I'm creating and a lot of content creators start using it and they're like, holy smokes, this is actually pretty cool software. I like this, who made it? Or when something happens, some click happens, those 12 short form uh, pieces of content. So right now I have like 800 uh, clips on TikTok and probably 800 on YouTube. And then we'll see whatever it gets to at that point. It's going to click. 
And then when people recognize my face, all that content I created is going to hit the algo because the idea is yeah. once it clicks, I don't have to create the 800 when I get to the, the inception point, the 800 are already there. So that's kind of what I'm betting on. And I, if it works, you'll see if it doesn't, then I guess you're right. Comment. Maybe I should do my different type of short content. No, I, I, I love the shorts and I do them a lot. Like basically this, the format that works best for me, again, I'm trying to be as efficient as possible because I have an exactly. agency to run. So I, I, I dedicate time for me to do long form videos like this or, or podcasts mm -hmm. like these. And then I take uh, snippets, snippets of wisdom from these, um, from these and I make them as shorts. And then I, I, I like you, I upload like, five to six at least a day um, on all these platforms. And uh, the idea here is that, yes, it's random, very random when it comes to views. Like really, uh, sometimes I got like, oh, 2.5K views on one of the shorts. And I, I cannot identify what was so special about this short that got mm -hmm. that, mon that many views. On the other hand, I feel that, oh, this short is going to kill it. It's beautiful. Yes. I upload it. <laughs> And I got 20 views. I'm like, what's yes. going on here? Like, I have no clue. But, you know, in the long run, I think even in YouTube, YouTube uh, makes, even if someone's searching for something, some shorts also appear in the search. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, multifaceted. It's long term. And people have to be patient. One of my uh, mentors is Gary Vee, of course. And he says that we need to count in hundreds. I always say that we should count in hundreds as a content creator. Don't don't be obsessed obsessed with views and likes and engagement. Just hit the record, publish, and don't worry about anything else. But the question becomes here: if everybody starts publishing, um, who's going to be the consumer if everybody's publishing? Do do you worry I've... that one day we're going to have overload of of content that there's no more people to watch? Well, I want to say this, especially on that regard, I think two things. I think if you think content, con content creation is competitive now, just wait. Give it like two, three more years. When I was describing what I said earlier, we're basically going to distinguish between a video that I created authentically and a software video. That's happening. You could call, you can say whatever you want, but it's going to happen. So when that happens, the people that already have an audience, it's going to be like 10x. It's going to go crazy. That being said, on top of that, though, I think the one thing that a content creators don't get enough, you know, uh, how do I say this? Basically enough like uh, ethos for, or just basically enough respect for in the context is that yes, in theory, it could be weapon if everyone creates content, then who's going to ingest what? But end of the day, I really feel like creating content is, is it's a muscle you got to flex. Uh, if it's not one of those things where especially the early days. I can't speak on the later days once you have an audience, like really big audiences. But the early days is very much like, no, no, you're recording a video today or you're posting up uploads today. It's not whether you feel good, feel bad, whatever it is, you're doing it. And you really have to flex that muscle. And I think the biggest reason that a lot of people don't get into content creation is that you burn out in the sense of like, you'll put up a bunch of content for a month or two months, but you're like, oh, this only got 10 views, only got 20 views. You know what? This isn't for me. What I can tell you is, when you create content, you should not care at all about the, especially in the beginning, about the view count, the engagement, whatever it may be, because in the beginning, you're just creating a catalog. So when the inception point does incur, then they can reference everything you've created in the past. You're going to get zero respect. And it's not even a disrespectful thing from all these people viewing you. It's genuinely like, I don't recognize your face. 
I don't have anything to tie you to. And, you know, swipe. Like, that's just kind of how it goes. And I don't blame them. I do the same thing if I don't recognize a face. So you just got to get your face out there. That's like round one. I try to approach uh, celebrities um, mm-hmm. to, to, ha- to invite them on the podcast. And then their assistant would send me an email. Hey, send me the, <laughs> the number of downloads and the number of views. Yeah, and right. So- yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I'm like, oh, man, they- everybody is chasing that number. You know, like um, you need to reach a certain level so that other people mm-hmm. respect you and say, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my time. And the journey until reaching that level is the most difficult. A hundred percent. I think a big thing with that is it's obvious when some of these channels have a lot of subscribers and they don't have that much views on their, on their videos. You got to do it authentically. Don't pay for views. Don't pay for followers. Don't do any of that. You are shooting yourself in the foot. The, The whole point of content creation is creating an audience that actually cares what you have to say and actually likes the value you provide. Do never go down the route of paying for views or anything of that context because you're basically just shooting yourself in the foot long term. And that's all really content is in, in like unless you're doing some crazy viral stuff, jumping off a, a bridge or something. A lot of content is just persistence, creating value and on the horizon. Like I, I didn't have an inclination that this was going to work out until eight months in. And by then, I think I had around 10,000 subscribers. But it took eight months of basically zero indication of whether this was going to work or not. I was taking a risk because I was basically running on, uh, I was, the way I kind of like to describe it my channel is that you give yourself a runway when you want to explore ideas. So that's going to pay for rent, food, everything associated just to survive at the bare minimum. Give yourself a runway if you want to take this seriously and then proceed. It took me eight months to realize that, okay, there's actually something here. And those eight months, it wasn't like, it, you know, it wasn't obvious. So I would definitely encourage that. Yeah, I'm exactly in that position. I'm, I gave myself, uh, I'm still giving myself runway. Um, mm-hmm. I have some savings left from my corporate job. I was a CMO before in Dubai. So I made some money there, came, came to the US and I've decided to pursue a master's degree and give myself like two, three years of experimenting. Definitely. And this is how I, how I, how I came to here. Um, I can see that behind you, there's a green screen. I'm wondering about the tools that you use. And I'm sure that the listeners sometimes will be like, oh, but yes. how do I start? Like, what, what tools do I need? So tell us more about your toolkit. Okay, so first things first, if you're just starting out, keep it simple. Use free stuff or very limited stuff. So for me, right now, this is a, I actually don't know the actual name of it, actually. Uh, Elgato. So this is an Elgato from Amazon. This is expensive, though. It's like 200 something. I didn't start with this. I started with, you go to Amazon and they have like these funny like photos of like the people with like the green screen circle in the back. And that's what I started with. And on top of that, I used Loom as a recording, which honestly isn't even necessary, but I just used Loom as like a way to store it. And the mic was, it was a Yeti. So I kind of already established that. So I, what I will say is that probably the most important investment is going to be your mic and then your camera, because your mic is like, if someone doesn't like the way you sound, they're just going to click off right away. Now I've gotten to the point where I've realized the best way to approach it, at least in my context right now, is I use a 4K Logitech and then the, there's like a Logitech light that goes with it. Then I just got this mic because I did realize my Yeti was kind of not as good as it should be. So this one's just a, uh, a Shure. It's, a, it's called a Shure V7. Amazon drag, uh, drop back. And then the one thing I always get a lot of comments on 
is what recording software you use, which might be unique, but here is a nice little trick. OBS. So if you don't know what OBS is, it's a streaming software. This is what Twitch users do, kick, kick uh, streamers do. So why am I using you OBS? Because a really cool thing about OBS that can truncate your time when it comes to editing is you're able to do effects while recording. So you know the streamers with like the, the transition and they go to like a different side. So now you can make your videos more interactive. You don't have to edit them, but actually do the effects live. So I think that's a really cool insight. Plus I can make myself big, large, and obviously have a green screen in the back. So that's the setup as of now. And OBS is free and open source. Yay. Yeah, it's free, completely free. And that thing is like, honestly, too good to be free, but let's keep it free. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, Corbin, have I missed any question? Do, do you want to add anything about your journey tips? Um, Definitely. I would say uh, two things. First thing is when I, because I've done development in the past, I've done a product-based business in the past, and now I'm kind of like in development and content creation. The one thing I can say about content creation that's different from any other business model that makes it extremely, not easy, but easier to approach is you get inclinations every single day that you're growing. When I ran that product-based business, it was three years of me putting in 12, 10 to 12 hours a day of me just working. And I had an inclination for revenue month over month, but it was still very much like, you don't know if this is going to work out. The biggest advantage to content creation is, guess what? You just gained 10 subscribers today. Take the little wins. The little wins is something you don't get in any other type of business context where in social media, when I do those 12 TikToks and I gain three followers on TikTok, that's a win. I gained three followers. That is better than me just approaching the product-based business where I did a 12 hours worth of work and I get like maybe some return like three months from now that I don't really visualize or connect was associated with that labor. What's nice about content is that you get an instant notification to yourself that, you know what, you did this and this gave you this return, which I think is probably one of the most advantageous things about content. No, that's amazing. Uh, one last thing. Uh, you've mm -hmm. seen some of my content and uh, I can take criticism. So if you, if you have an advice for me, what would be your advice to me? I would say less wording in the thumbnail, maybe more focus on the face. And we want to basically, so like I'd probably enlarge your face more, enlarge the guest face more, and then do like, think of it like, okay, play words of like three to five words maximum upon this thumbnail. You could maybe put like a, your logo to represent the podcast, but three to five words max. And like, just like those three to five words is like kind of the general gist of what the, the value of the podcast was, or, you know, maybe three to seven words, but something of that round. Other than that, pretty good. Another thing, speaking of that too, when it comes to uh, writing the title of your videos, how much mm -hmm. effort did you, do you put in researching the keywords and doing all of that? Or, or you just yes. use your gut feeling? No, this is actually a really big tip and, and maybe it exists out there and, you know, maybe they're going to be like, no, this person told me about this or like whatever. Here's what I learned. And this is huge. Let's say I'm making a video on uh, the GBT store got released. Okay. So it got released. The title of the video will be basically I'll type in GBT store on Google. Okay. Found it. First link, whatever the first link is, I'm making the title as similar to that first link's title as possible. But here's the kicker. I will take the link of the article. I will put it in GBT and I'll tell it to summarize it, understand it. And then for the description and the key points, 
I will say use similar dictation, if not exact dictation found in the article. And then the last piece there, which is the cherry on top, is you actually put the link of the article in your description, uh, description as well in your YouTube video, because what happens is you create a backlink. And from there, if users are watching your video and click the link of the article, Google and Bing's algorithm is like, wait, they click the link from the article from this YouTube video, which means that this YouTube video is relevant for this search query, which means that your, your video is going to show up in search. And I've done this for GBT5. I've done this for a ton of different videos. And that's a huge trick. Leverage the articles that show up for your, whatever you're trying to hit on that video. That is so fascinating. I never thought about this before. Amazing <laughs> stuff, man. No, it's it's straight up A-B testing with social media where it's like you don't know what's going to hit or not. But sometimes you you know when it hits. And I just got like external traffic was 80% for one of my videos right now for Copilot because it's showing up in the search. But yeah, no, 100% on that. Done. I'm starting using it. So yeah, do it. <laughs> I'm using that trick now. <laughs> 100%, 100%, do it, no, please do. <laughs> no, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, Corbin, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, man. Uh, you've been, you've, you're doing an amazing job and it's a pleasure for me to have you as a friend and a guest on, on the Singularity Syndicate podcast. So with that, I um, want to say uh, thank you for taking time to speak to me. No problem. And Corbin AI, you type in WebCAF AI, you'll find me on any socials. I'm on Twitter, YouTube, uh, TikTok. But at the end of the day, let's start leveraging this new thing called AI as best we can in our business or personal life. Thank you for having me. All good. Awesome. Cheers.